ESPN Radio. Kevin Durant is one of the greatest postseason performers in NBA history. Entering the Nets series against the Boston Celtics, he averaged 29.5 points per game, over 151 playoff games, but... Things took a turn for the worse against the Boston Celtics in that game one of their first-round playoff series. Uh, they limited Durant to 23 points, uh, 9 of 24 shooting. He made just one of five three-pointers and committed six turnovers. And eventually, the Brooklyn Nets went on to lose that game on a devastating last-second shot from uh, Jason Tatum there on a layup, 115-114 final at the Garden. This is ESPN Radio on the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80 on ESPN plus Courtney Cronin and Harry Douglas kicking it with you on a Monday afternoon. You can tweet to us at Courtney R. Cronin at HDouglas83 at ESPN Radio. You can also join in the conversation on the Canty call-in line, 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. And as always, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. So Kevin Durant, following the game, Harry, had this to say about the Celtics' defense and how it stifled him in the game one matchup. Take a listen. Yeah, they did a good job of um, forcing me away and then helping in the pain. I just got to be more fundamental in my moves. Just feel like some shots went in and out for me today, but I still got to be, I play fast and turn the ball. I mean, I just got to slow down and play my game. But they did a good job of making me see bodies. That was Kevin Durant following the 115-114 loss to the Boston Celtics. I mean, he was flailing. He was flopping. Uh, he was getting out physical. Why? Because Grant Williams and Jason Tatum were taking it to him, Harry. <laughs> I'm laughing because he, all those things were, were happening because Kevin Durant is light in the ass, Courtney. <laughs> He's a little thin. <laughs> but I, I'll say this. Um, I thought he let those defenders of the Boston Celtics get up in his airspace a little too much. Um, at the same time, I thought he got pushed around. I don't think he was engaged 100% at all. Um, I think he was playing too fast. He had six turnovers. Some of his turnovers, I was like, my goodness, they were egregious. Mm-hmm. I was like, how is Kevin Durant even turning turn the basketball over this this way so many times? But also I've seen a little hesitancy in Kevin Durant out there playing. I don't think he was engaged 100%. Now, Two of the things that I do want to see better from Kevin Durant as well, because I'm not necessarily worried about his offensive game because he's just that lethal and he's going to figure out how to get over this because he went through this last year with the Milwaukee Bucks and playing against the P.J. Tucker who played tough, stifling defense on him that entire series. And he just made the the shots that, that beat great defense. I need Kevin Durant to be better and be more committed to rebounding the basketball, right? Uh, I thought – Offensive rebound-wise, I thought Al Horford got a lot of offensive yeah. rebounds. I also thought that the Brooklyn Nets didn't get that many second chances uh, when it came to them missing shots and getting offensive rebounds. But Kevin Durant, especially once they get defensive stops, have to be more committed to rebounding the basketball. There should be no game that Kevin Durant plays from this point forward where he has less than seven rebounds a game. I'm just being honest. I also think he needs to be more committed to the defensive end. We've seen what happened on that last possession of him not paying attention to Jason Tatum, and he actually hit the game winner. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, he was frozen there at the top of the key, and and Tatum just kind of whizzed by him into the low post and was able to, you know, get the dish from Marcus Smart, and it was a great play. And I think this is the first time we've seen Jason Tatum fully commit 
on the defensive end when it comes to Kevin Durant, probably since, you know, he played Giannis. And, you know, I mean, I think that nobody can guard Kevin Durant straight up the way that Jason Tatum did last night. It's either him or Giannis doing that. And to be able to block his shot and to be able to frustrate him to, you know, holding him to 40% shooting, like not the Boston Celtics aren't going to do that every single night. Like that's, that's an anomaly for the most part for where he was yesterday, two of 10 shooting at halftime. He, you know, was able to kind of get back in a groove there in the second half, but the Celtics made him work for all 23 of those points uh, on their way to like securing the victory last night. Guess what, Courtney? I know what Kevin Durant better go do. You know, we used to watch this show. Um, I don't even know. Was it called Popeye the Sailor Man? Yeah, Popeye the Sailor Man. <laughs> he better go eat that damn spinach that Popeye ate so he don't get pushed around like he did the rest of this series. Now, I do believe Kevin Durant will come out hitting on all cylinders because the competitor in him and how he loves the game of basketball and don't want people like Big Perk said he got punked today. Yeah. I wouldn't go that far, but he don't want to hear those type of things on airwaves anymore. Mm-hmm. and he's a guy that takes pride in everything that he does. But he needs to figure out how to get around those guys when they're up in this airspace. One of the things that guys do nowadays, they, they try to go around them, they come back and stop and hesitate and try to go, and that's not doing nothing to a defender, especially like a big, a guy like an Al Horford or even a Jason Tatum. That's not doing anything to those guys because they're long in length. Try to figure out um, how to get around those guys, be committed to the move, and then if it's not there – facilitate. That's one of the things that Kevin Durant started doing a great job of this year is being a facilitator and hitting the open man. But at the same time, I need the Brooklyn Nets uh, secondary guys to move and cut without the basketball. Don't just sit there, stand there and watch like they did on the last offensive possession. You got to help the guys help you as well. So Kevin Durant scored 23. It was an off night for him, a historically bad playoff experience for uh, Easy Money Sniper. But with Kyrie Irving playing at the level he did in spite of the loss last night. I think it begs the question, Harry, of whether we need to see Kevin Durant playing at superstar level in order for Brooklyn to win this series. Like, I think fully this is going a seven-game series, and it is going to be a lot of close games coming up, you know, starting Wednesday with with Mm -hmm. Game 2, which is still in Boston before the series transitions back to Brooklyn. But does Kevin Durant, in your opinion, have to be playing at, like, you know, just head and shoulders above everybody else to be able to lift this team? Because it ain't like they're getting Ben Simmons back right now. I mean, yeah, game four. I'll believe it when I see it because we've heard this before. You can't rely on that. You can't rely on on the play of everybody else, Andre Drummond, Seth Curry, the rest of your bench, uh, Patty Mills. I mean, there's good nights and there's bad nights. Kevin Durant has to be the consistently great factor, I think, in order for this team to be able to get past Boston because they've shown. They, they are okay being the physical ones on the defensive end and making you work for it and frustrating the heck out of you en route to doing so. Yeah, you mentioned Patty Mills right there. He went to the land of no return <laughs> yesterday during that basketball game against the Boston Celtics. But for Cameron Durant, I'm going to take it a step further. For the, uh, for the Brooklyn Nets to advance in any series that they play in the playoffs, not just this one, in any series, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving both have to play at a superstar level each and every matchup. If they want a chance to win any series that they play in, because I just think everybody that they're going to go against are that good defensively. So except I'll say the, the 76ers, but they wouldn't meet them until the conference finals if yeah. that happened, right? Every other team, you look at Milwaukee, you look at the Miami Heat, um, 
I would even throw Toronto. I don't think they're going to win that series, but Toronto, they defend, even though they didn't look like it against the Philadelphia 76ers, but I think they match up better against the Brooklyn Nets uh, because of their length and what they have there. But they, both of those guys, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, have to play at a superstar level the rest of the way in every series that they're in for them to even have a chance to win that series. If they don't, they're going to be going home. All right, the phones are open on the Canty call-in line, 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. Let's go out to Bill in Virginia. He's got a take here on the Brooklyn Nets. Bill, you're on ESPN Radio. Hello, thanks for, thanks for taking my call. No problem, uh, what do you got? Yesterday's game, yes, yesterday's game, uh, we saw that the team, Boston, played team ball while – the New Jersey Nets said, look, Irvin, you take it this time, and then Durant, you take it this time. However, Boston was ready for Durant. They were playing him tough defense, and they they needed another score or somebody to slow down Jason Tatum, and that's where Simmons come in. So in order for New Jersey to win this series, they've got to have Simmons or it's bye-bye Nets. See you next year. All right, Bill, thanks for the call. I just feel like, Harry, at this point, we can't rely on Ben Simmons to, A, be coming back regardless. I know the report that was out there from Adrian Wojnarowski, ESPN and NBA Insider, is that Ben Simmons is still in the ramp-up period. And, you know, over the weekend, it was supposed to be from him going one-on-zero to one-on-one. Now, all of a sudden, we're expecting he's going to be back by Game 4, which is a week from today, and playing at a level where he can actually contribute? No way. I don't believe that that's going to happen. Like, you can't convince me that him getting getting 10 or 15 minutes from him is going to be that big of a of an X factor that would lessen the load for Kevin Durant. Well, I'll even tell you, listen, they can win. The Brooklyn Nets can win this series without Ben Simmons going out there. Um, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving just have to play at a superstar level. But at the same time, the role players got to play their role. You can't have Seth Curry in a game like yesterday only having eight points. You can't get the ball late in a game to Nick, uh, Nick Claxton, Claxton knowing that he can't hit free throws and expect your team to win. KYP, we call that knowing your personnel. <laughs> Little things like this matter in games. But if all these guys are committed to the defensive end and committed to rebounding, the, the Brooklyn Nets can win this series because of Kevin Durant and the Kyrie Irving is so lethal offensively. They just got to be committed. Mm-hmm. Real quick, do you think game two is a must win for Brooklyn? Yes, it is. I it's do a too. Must win. I feel like if they go down two games and it's 0-2 heading back to Brooklyn, there is such steep climbing yep. uphill for this team. And if you think Kyrie Irving is going to is frustrated right now with the fans, even though he says that it's not hostility, it's this, that, or the other thing, and walks himself into a circle, uh, imagine what that's going to look like because they're going to have to go back to Boston to fight for their playoff lives here. And again, I do think this is going seven games, but. Gosh, Brooklyn's got to even out this series and do it quick because this could get out of hand very, very quickly. Straight ahead, is Baker Mayfield Carolina's best option at quarterback? Harry and I discuss next here on ESPN Radio and ESPN+. Plus.
ESPN Radio. Baker Mayfield might be Carolina's best option at quarterback here, Harry, and it does feel at this point that something is imminent. Now, does that mean before the draft? Probably not. That's a week away, and Cleveland really is in no position to try to offload Baker Mayfield right now. They want to get the most out of uh, whichever team ends up striking a deal with them because Baker Mayfield's fifth-year option is fully guaranteed, and it's $18.8 million. So with the Carolina Panthers being in play here, it always felt to me like they were the team that has the better roster between you know themselves and the Seattle Seahawks, if I'm thinking about teams that actually need quarterbacks. And yes, they're at six. Yes, they uh, could very well be the first team to take a quarterback off the board. Maybe it is Malik Willis. Maybe it's Kenny Pickett. They've been hosting all of the top quarterbacks throughout the pre-draft process. But for a team that absolutely has to win and do it now in order to save Matt Rule's job, it feels like you wouldn't be relying upon a rookie quarterback or Sam Darnold, who's currently on the roster, in order to, in order to do that, and that it would be Baker Mayfield potentially as their best option. Well, I will say this. Um along those lines, the thing I'm concerned about, I want to know David Tepper, the owner of the Carolina Panthers, how long is he giving Matt Rule? Is he telling Matt Rule that he has one year to figure this out? Or is he telling Matt Rule that he has two or three years to figure, figure this out? Because if he's telling Matt Rule he has one year, I don't see the the plan in drafting a rookie quarterback and trying to get them up to speed and, and experimenting things that way. Um, if he's telling him he's going to get one year, then Baker Mayfield would be the best guy. Now, when I look at the, the quarterbacks on the roster right now for the Carolina Panthers, you have Sam Darnold, who, ooh, spooky, have seen ghosts at one point. And then you have P.J. Walker. We do know the answer uh, to, the, to the quarterback position in Carolina is neither one of those guys. Now, P.J. Walker, he has a history uh, with Matt Rule. So does Robbie Anderson. Robbie Anderson is that same guy who said, no, as we drag out the O's, no, we don't want Baker Mayfield, the same guy who doubled down on it and said facts. That's how he feels. Um, But clearly when you look at their quarterback position, Baker Mayfield would be the best guy for that job. And you look at this team and how it's constructed. Their defense is young and hungry. Um, second in the league last year, they made tremendous strides and made a lot of big plays. Offensively, you have a Christian McCaffrey to go along with a Chuba Hubbard. You have a, a Tommy Trimble who came from Notre Dame. And then you have a Ian Thomas who you just re-signed back to go along with, I think, four solid wide receivers in DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, um, Terrence Marshall, um, and um, Rashard Higgins. Oh, Rashard Higgins, right, that they just got from Cleveland. Yep. So I, I look at this offense and – you have guys that can make plays and uh, guys who can move the football up and down the field. It's just that quarterback position is holding them up. Do I think Baker Mayfield is the best guy for the job when it comes to the Carolina Panthers? 100% I do. But here's the thing. There's this thing going around that Baker might not be liked by a lot of people, and that might be a problem. But I think it all boils down to um, David Tepper, the owner of the Carolina Panthers, and how many years he's told Matt Rule that he has to get this thing turned around in Carolina. That plays a big factor in a lot of these decisions. I don't think he told him he probably has more than a year. I, th- I do think he's told him that he probably doesn't have more than a year because of their meeting at the end of the season and what Matt Rule relayed to uh, beat reporters in Carolina that, yeah, everything's fine. Like, it's great. We had a very productive meeting. Okay, usually that means that the writing's <laughs> on the wall that this the, the ship has sailed and you've got 
very limited time to figure this out. Like he said, you know, there's a report out there from, you know, back at the end of the end of the season that David Tepper was unhappy and embarrassed when it mm. comes to the coaching performance on, on Matt Rule. And there's probably some buyer's remorse there. So if you're if you're this staff and trying to figure it out, you realize that the roadblock you face is that Sam Darnold is currently your quarterback, and the only other quarterback you have on the roster currently is P.J. Walker. So do you draft someone at six and take a gamble that a rookie quarterback is going to be the answer there? And here's the thing. With this class, at least last year, with the five quarterbacks between Justin Fields, Mac Jones, Zach Wilson, um, Trey Lance, and who am I forgetting here? Um there's, there were five of them, regardless. Did you say Zach Wilson? I did. Uh, Trey Lance, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Mac Jones, and whoever else escapes me. Uh, but nonetheless, we knew that there was going to be a starter from that group, and, and lo and behold, Zach Wilson was a starter in New York with the Jets. Justin Fields was a starter with the Chicago Bears. Do we know that any of these quarterbacks from this group between Kenny Pickett, Malik Willis, Desmond Ritter, Matt Corral, do we know that any of them are going to be starting quarterbacks this year as rookies? No, we don't. And I think that if you're Matt Rule, you don't want to hedge your career on that. And so you have to, you know, maybe let cooler heads prevail here because it wasn't very soon after the Deshaun Watson trade that the that the Carolina Panthers apparently had disinterest in Baker Mayfield and weren't interested in, in making the call to try to get him down from Cleveland, and that's when he had his mutual disinterest. But now that you're looking at this thing with the more clear focus of, okay, what do we need to do to win in 2022? How might pick number six be better suited for the Carolina Panthers, whether they even stay there or not? I mean, that's a great place to trade back from, and if there's really no quarterback that's worthy of a top-ten pick, if we believe that, then they'd be in good position to try to garner some more draft capital here. But um, I feel like Baker Mayfield is their best option at quarterback, but I also don't really have much faith in the staff regardless of what happens this year. I feel like the writing is on the wall, and it's been on the wall, and Matt Rule will probably not be an NFL head coach much longer beyond the 2022 season regardless of who is at quarterback. Now, real quick, um, if this does happen, because it doesn't feel like it's going to happen before the draft, but mm-hmm. it's imminent for the offseason, maybe training camp, whatever happens, what what should Baker's mindset be moving forward? Because like, you, you, you mentioned it with, like, Robbie Anderson. Like, yeah. you got to win over the locker room here at That's some right. point. It's very clear that, you know, one of your top pass catchers, potential pass catchers, it doesn't like you already. So there's he's already kind of starting behind the eight ball if he does indeed get to Carolina. Well, I'll, I'll say from today moving forward, the best thing for Baker Mayfield to do is to just hush and compete and play football. Show that he wants to play football at a very, very high level and that he can. And when I say show, that means when he does get on the team, because I don't believe that he's not going to be able to – he's not going to play this year. I do believe he's going to be on a team. Uh, we just don't know where. Mm-hmm. But go in there and eat a piece of the humble pie, Right. That's something I don't think Baker has done so far since being in the National Football League is ate a piece of that humble pie. Understand that this is a business and no one cares about your feelings. Go about your business. uh, Build a relationship with your teammates. I think that is huge, and it's important, especially for the quarterback position. And I keep saying that over and over and over again every time I have a chance on any show that I'm on because I don't think people understand how important it is being a quarterback and having relationships with not just receivers – or offensive linemen, but with the defense, defensive linemen, cornerbacks, linebackers, special team guys. Because at the quarterback position, even if you're not, you're viewed as a leader. 
That's just the way it is, even if you don't want to be. So there are certain things that you can and cannot do as a quarterback. Talking too much when you haven't really produced at a very, very high level in this league is one of those things. So I think moving forward, Baker just has to understand um, that he just has to be quiet, work hard, and show things through his actions versus his words. So his feelings were clearly hurt, and he said he felt disrespected on the YNK podcast last week. There's another receiver in the NFL who is very clear today that his feelings have been hurt, and we're going to get into a little bit more on that. And the wide receivers that are holding out of off-season voluntary workouts, what that means for the wide receiver market, coming up next here on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. ESPN Radio. So it appears the fans or someone has gotten to A.J. Brown, wide receiver for the Tennessee Titans, who as of right now is not reporting for voluntary offseason workouts with his team mid-wanting a new contract entering his fourth year in the NFL. He tweeted 51 minutes ago, quote, I'm a diva and a bad teammate all of a sudden. LOL. Okay. Do what you have to do then, and so will I, and then followed up in a subsequent tweet with, quote, they switch up quick, which brings us to the question of the wide receiver market, where it's going, and what wide receivers who are currently expecting and hoping for new deals can expect from their respective teams. This is ESPN Radio on the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, streaming live on ESPN+. Plus. We mentioned wide receivers, so now we're going to turn our attention to Robert Griffin III, ESPN NFL analyst, who joins Courtney Cronin and Harry Douglas here on ESPN Radio. Robert, I want to start with Debo Samuel, A.J. Brown, and Terry McLaurin as a group um, because they've all chosen to skip on-field work during the off-season program as they're trying to get new contracts here of these three players all of them mean something distinct to to their teams but is there someone that you can say head and shoulders above the rest of the group deserves that new contract and will be the first to put pen to paper here all right Courtney and Harry uh they all deserve it right Terry McLaurin is a true number one right Washington can't afford to lose him Debo Samuel is a true number one at wide receiver 
and running back and does so many things in that offense in San Francisco, they can't afford to lose him. And we talk about A.J. Brown. Yes, I just saw uh, what he talked about on Twitter. But the bottom line for A.J. Brown is he is such a dynamic player that they don't want to have to win without him. Coach Brable and the Titans found a way to win without King Henry last year, so I know they can probably try to find a way to win without A.J. Brown. But you don't just throw away good players and trade them away because you don't want to pay them. Uh, I'm a true believer in the grass isn't always greener on the other side. So for these wide receivers, they have proven success with these teams, and their teams need to pay them because if they let them go and try to go to the draft, that's a crapshoot. It's a 50-50 chance that they might not get a guy like that in return. Robert, I agree I agree with you 100%. Three guys who mean so much to their team. But now I want to turn the tides towards the quarterback position and talk about Baker Mayfield for a little bit here. When you look at Baker, what should his mindset be moving forward? Yeah, Baker's mindset moving forward has to be uh, – he has to understand first that he's going to have to go win over a new locker room, right, because it's time that Cleveland's done. But I never thought that Baker was a quote-unquote terrorist in the locker room on the teams that he has played on. In Cleveland, he was beloved by his teammates, except for Odell Beckham Jr. and maybe some other select wide receivers because he could never get on the same page with them chemistry-wise on the field. So when I saw Robbie Anderson's response on Instagram, my whole thought process for that was he just doesn't want to be the one that gets blamed if Baker comes to Carolina and they don't have a good connection. He saw what happened with OBJ, and we all saw how OBJ got vindicated by going to the Rams and showing up and showing out on route, in route to winning a Super Bowl. So Baker's got to understand that he has to allow his play to do the talking. And when he goes into that next locker room, He just has to be who he's always been from the standpoint of hard work, dedication, and preparation. You know, he can't be doing any more podcasts. He can't be talking anymore about how the Browns wronged him because they they did, right? We all know that. It was wrong what they did to him. But the NFL is not fair. You're talking to a guy who a lot of times wasn't treated fairly in the NFL, but you still got to pick up your bags and keep it moving and keep trying to find new avenues to reach success. So I think that's the most important thing for Baker. He's got to let his play do the talking. We're talking with Robert Griffin, the third ESPN NFL analyst who will be a part of ABC's NFL draft coverage beginning next Thursday, April 28th. The draft goes through Saturday, April 30th. You can hear and see Robert there. Um, I want to go back to the wide receivers really quick. And I know that this is a strong draft class, and we're expecting double-digit receivers taken off the board in the first and second rounds for a third straight year. How do you feel that the wide receiver draft class impacted free agency this year? Oh, 100% it impacted free agency. You're looking at these wide receivers in the draft this year, the Garrett Wilsons, the Drake Londons, the Chris Olaves, the Traylon Burks. I could go on and on, right? Me and Harry, we know we studied all these guys and we've talked about them, but these players are so dynamic. And the thing about it is that these GMs, uh, head coaches and owners, they're playing chess, not checkers. They understand if they draft these guys early first, first round, they can control them for four to five years, right? And they don't have to pay them that big money. So they get four to five years of production out of these guys, and then they can ship them off wherever they want to go, trade them, not sign them back, and just start it all over four or five years later. And that's the problem right now because wide receivers are valued as the second most important position on the entire team in the NFL 
right now because that's how they're paying them. They're paying quarterbacks number one at forty million, and they're paying wide receivers right behind them at twenty nine to thirty million. And some of these GMs are like, I just don't want to do that. I'd rather pay the young, cheap wide receiver who doesn't have as much tread on his tires and is going to be able to come in. He's going to want to learn from my either young quarterback or veteran quarterback. So they're out there playing chestnut checkers, and this class is like 20 deep. It's unbelievable. You're going to find some guys in the third and fourth round that are going to come in and make big splashes on playoff-ready teams. RG3, when you look at the quarterbacks in this coming upcoming uh, NFL draft, who do you think is going to be uh, the first quarterback taken? Now, Carolina is in a kind of a sneaky little position being there at six and understanding that they need a quarterback. And right now they don't believe in a Sam Darnold or a P.J. Walker. But who do you think will be the first quarterback taken and why? Whew. That's a great question, Harry, because I don't even think it's Carolina that's really the, the defying one here. I think it's the Detroit Lions at two. I think the Lions have a decision to make. If they bring in a guy like Malik Willis, and sit him behind Jared Goff because Jared Goff is obviously making some money from the Lions. But Malik Willis gets a chance to come in, learn the system, be patient with him, just like the Chiefs were with Alex Smith and Patrick Mahomes. I think that's an interesting domino that could fall on draft night. But when you talk about these quarterbacks, it all depends on what you want. If you just want a guy that has consistently shown he's a winner, you get Desmond Ritter. If you want a guy that's got that it factor is going to run through a brick wall for you, you go get Matt Corral. The rare traits, the arm dexterity, the athleticism, that's Malik Willis and Kenny Pickett. I just don't think there's anything on the football field that he cannot do at this point. There's only one guy out there who's broken all Dan Marino's records, and it's Kenny Pickett. So he's shown you he can run the ball early in his career, 2018, 2019, and then he developed into a dynamic passer, making all the throws on the field. So I actually like this quarterback class a lot more than other guys have. Uh, a lot more than other guys do, but it's because I put in the time to watch the tape and haven't just listened to what's going on on the airwaves day in and day out. That Malik Willis at two to Detroit take is one of my absolute favorites, Robert. I would love to see Detroit shake up the draft order a little bit by not going defensive end or you know defense period at number two and taking a quarterback far sooner than their second pick at number 32 at the end of the first round. We really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Uh, thank you, guys. God bless. Robert, as a reminder, is going to be a part of ABC's NFL draft coverage Thursday, April 28th at 8 p.m. The draft is also going to be on ESPN Radio, ESPN, ESPN Deportes, and multiple social media platforms. You can hear every pick over the three days of the draft here on ESPN Radio. Straight ahead, what does Sammy Watkins and his signing mean for Aaron Rodgers and the Packers? We discuss next here on ESPN Radio and ESPN+. Plus. ESPN Radio.
Courtney Cronin, Harry Douglas with you on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus. A couple days before the Cleveland Browns made Denzel Ward the NFL's top-paid cornerback with a five-year, $100.5 million extension, the Indianapolis Colts shored up their secondary by signing former New England Patriots cornerback Stephon Gilmore to a two-year, $23 million contract. Harry, when you look at how important the cornerback is to this defense that Gus Bradley is going to install in his first season in Indianapolis. How much of an upgrade do you think this is for the secondary? Oh, it's a major upgrade, especially in a lead in today's NFL where teams love to pass the football. Now, you do still have those teams who like to grind it out and run on the ground, but the major and the majority of the makeup of teams nowadays are teams passing. Now, Gus Bradley comes over as a defensive coordinator because Eberfuse, um, he's gone now. He's become a head coach in the league. Now, I think Gus Bradley will have some pressure on him, but one of the things that he can do in that base cover three, cover three, right? You have three guys normally deep. You have a safety, you have a corner, and the other corner. But one of the things that Gus Bradley did while he was in Seattle with a guy like a Richard Sherman is that on that backside where you have your single receiver, that what they call the X wide receiver, now you can have that corner impress uh, technique up on the line of scrimmage, taking away your best wide receiver and eliminating a lot of things. That's a lot of things that Richard Sherman did. Now you have a guy like a Stephon Gilmore. So if you play the Tennessee Titans, right, you want to have an extra guy in that box because of Derrick Henry. You want to play cover three and have one of those safeties down in the box to make sure um, the run game is fitted the correct way. You just say, okay, we're going to play cover three here, but Stephon Gilmore pressed the X. That X is normally going to be a guy named A.J. Brown who wants to get his money and paid and very rightfully so because he deserves it. That's the luxury you have as a defensive play caller, as a defensive coordinator, and totality of your defense when you have a Stephon Gilmore, who at some point uh, in the National Football League was the best corner in the league. That's what he's going to bring over. Now, I do love the fact that they brought over McLeod as well, um, another guy who has a Super Bowl ring. So now you have two guys in your secondary with that Super Bowl experience to go along with the guy in Yannick Ngakwe, who you brought over from a trade. Um, Quiddy Pay, DeForest Buckner. You have two solid linebackers in O'Carrie Kay and Darius Leonard. So I'm looking forward to see big things from this defense. The Indianapolis Colts made a splash early in free agency with some of the uh, acquisitions that Harry just mentioned. They were a little quiet, but they signed Stephon Gilmore. He arrives with 125 career starts and 27 interceptions. As Harry said, his expertise in press coverage should fit well in this new scheme under Gus Bradley. Sammy Watkins is Aaron Rodgers' newest target in Green Bay, but does this mean that they've actually filled the void for Devontae Adams? And that is a resounding heck no. This is ESPN Radio on the ESPN app, Sirius XM (laughs) Channel 80, and ESPN Plus. Harry Douglas, Courtney Cronin (laughs) kicking it with you until 7 p.m. on the East Coast. So we find out the other day that the Packers have at least started to take a step in the right direction of addressing a massive void that they have at the receiver position being, you know, Devontae Adams forcing his way out of there and getting to play with Derek Carr once again with the Vegas Raiders. And, you know, Sammy Watkins comes to the Packers team having not played a full season since 2014. So we know that durability concerns are aplenty with this receiver And we also know that Green Bay Packers have not taken a first-round receiver in many, many years in the draft. So I ask you, Harry, do you feel like they're done here? 
do you feel like they can still address this in free agency or do they turn to the draft and if so will they actually use a first round pick on are the a green bay packers still done when it comes to wide receiver position hell no <laughs> it's humanly impossible for them to be done um, right now, you have a Sammy Watkins, you have an Alan Lazard, you have a Mari Rogers, you have a Randall Cobb. I just don't think those guys are going to be the guys that get them over the hump like they want to uh, like they want to be in Green Bay. Now, you said they're taking some steps. This signing shows me that they're taking baby steps. And do I think they're, they're inching along? Get... I didn't specify oh, yeah. how big of the step it was. <laughs> I mean, baby it's steps. it's something. Because when I look at Sammy Watkins, the health thing really bothers me because Courtney, like you just alluded to. He hasn't played a full 16 games now, a 17-game season in the NFL since his rookie year where he was drafted in the first round, number four, fourth pick overall. Yeah. That, that's concerning to me. Now, when you look at the totality of this uh, wide receiver draft, and not, not only the draft, but the guys that are left over in free agency, you still have some quality guys. Now, I don't think the Packers can just pick one guy in the draft. I think they need to go two guys. And if I'm not mistaken, I think they have four picks within the first two rounds. So using two wide receivers on those picks will be very, very, very positive for them. And I think they need to do so, not probably do so, because of Devontae Adams and filling that void is going to be troubling in itself already. Now you need Aaron Rodgers to have better guys, not better guys, but guys who can have production and not just have production, but have production quickly coming into the National Football League. I think it's worrisome if Sammy Watkins is your number one. Like oh, yes that to is. me, and, and having the whole like receiver by committee approach, that's great in theory if you are going to draft a couple different times and address the wide receiver position. But this this would stress me out if I'm a Green Bay Packers fan because Sammy Watkins spent one season in Baltimore last year. He played 13 games, which is more than he's played um, in the last three seasons, dating back to you know 2018, 10 games, 14 games, 19, 10 games. Like injuries have limited him uh, in, in these circumstances. And he only came away with 394 yards receiving and a touchdown last year on 49 targets. Like, that tells me that this is not necessarily a part-time player, but somebody that you're going to have to account for missing some time because of injuries that pop up. Now, I think the Green Bay Packers are looking at this and being like, man, we just escaped what everybody wanted us to do. We want to take an offensive lineman at the end of the first round because, you know, two-fifths, thir- two three-fifths, whatever it is of our offensive line went out the door in free agency, and they feel like they can address the interior by getting somebody at the end of the first round and not having to use that pick on a wide receiver. I think that's short-sighted. I think that this team thinks that it can use a second and third round to get wide receiver talent, and that's great, but this is a huge void. Devontae Adams leaving it could change the entire season for Aaron Rodgers and coming back to Green Bay, and they need to address that early in the draft and, and address it more than once. I believe so, too. Um, and if they do decide to go offensive lineman with their first-round draft pick, I also believe that they can pick two guys. And I'm trying to see where else do they pick in this draft. They actually have two first-round draft picks. They have one at 22, and they have one at 28. Now, you can go wide receiver in one. You can go offensive lineman with one. I don't know which, which one. You're, you're probably at 22nd. You probably want to get uh, your offensive lineman, depending on who you want. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're a guy that you want is not there, then you wait um, to 28 to, yep. to take your offensive lineman. Or uh, I don't know how you do it, but I, I just think it, it could be better. 